A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Thanks, Dan. It just feels nice to have Dan and Tom and some of the others to start us off by reading the Scripture that we're going to be talking about. Good morning, everybody. If you're new to Greater Alton or if uh, this is your first time with us, my name is Alan, and I'm really glad that you're here. Was anybody else really encouraged by the singing this morning? Yeah, I was too. You guys are really, really nailing it. It's good stuff. Good to be with you. So last week, we started a brand new series of lessons called, You Want Me to Do What? (laughs) And what we're hoping to do in this lesson series is to actually go through the Sermon on the Mount, to take it just a little bite at a time and try to unpack it and figure out, because if we're followers of Jesus, it makes sense that we should know what he wants us to do, right? And the Sermon on the Mount is the largest collection of Jesus' teachings that we have in any one place in the Bible. Several years ago, I guess it was probably 11, 12 years ago, I had been studying about the kingdom of God. I always thought I knew what the kingdom of God was, and then I found out it was a little bit more than what I was thinking. And as I had studied this out and started to become more and more aware of what the kingdom of God is all about, and some of you were here whenever I was teaching classes on this and you saw me struggling to figure some of this stuff out, as I got deeper into that study, it just started weighing on me that, well, the kingdom of God, if it's real, like I think it is, if Jesus is a king and his kingdom is what it is, kings are supposed to be obeyed, what exactly, and, and I began to look at the Sermon on the Mount as maybe the constitution of the kingdom of God. And I remember starting with some young adults. So some of you young adults are still here. you remember going through this with me? How many times did I go, yeah, I'm not real sure <laughs> what he means about this one. And if you've ever had that, that journey of studying through the Sermon on the Mount, really trying to understand what Jesus wants you to do, you've probably confronted the question, you want me to do what? Because some of Jesus talks a lot like we do. He just did it 2,000 years ago in a different culture, in a different place. He uses Hebrew idioms. You guys understand any Hebrew idioms? Yeah, I, not me either. I, I have to look these things up. He uses hyperbole a lot. He uses references. You ever sit and talk to someone and they throw out movie references from movies you haven't seen? And you're like, I'm a little clueless as to what you're getting at. Jesus does some of that too. Now, it is, a, it is knowable what Jesus is teaching. I'm not trying to tell you that it's not knowable. But it isn't a first read kind of a thing. It's the kind of a thing that if we're serious about following him and being his disciples, then we should be serious about understanding what it is that he wants us to do, and it will take time. I'll tell you another thing that it takes, or at least it took for me, and I think it's pretty well universal. It is not, I don't think it's that doable to figure out what Jesus wants us to do and then try to learn to do it without help. If you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you to either join a small group or start a small group. It doesn't have to be 
the biggest and the brightest. It doesn't have to be huge in numbers, but we all need someone that we can talk to because we're going to look at what Jesus says and we're going to be saying, you want me to do what? Even if I understand what he said, sometimes how to apply it to my life isn't always real easy. So I need someone to kind of be there with me to encourage me whenever I get it wrong. To let me know whenever I get it right. And maybe to see the things that I don't have the perspective yet to see. Does that all that make sense? So as we go through this sermon series, if you're not a smart part of a small group, let me encourage you to either get involved with one or to start one, but don't try to just go through this alone. Okay, so last week we started off, let's get into the lesson here. Last week we started off and I naively thought that I could handle uh, the whole lesson in one setting together. And when I got halfway through the notes, I had already gone for like 35 or 40 minutes and I didn't think anybody really wanted me to ramp up for another 35 or 40. So I felt like, okay, well, let's, let's stop and we'll take a run at it again next Sunday. And so we're picking up really where we left off last week. If you remember where we left off last week, we just dealt with one verse. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. And then what we're going to look at today is where he says, you are the light of the world. Salt and light have a dramatic impact on the environments that they're in, right? Whenever you, whenever I boil it down, what is Jesus in the 30,000 foot view trying to get me to understand where he talks about your salt and your light? What I come with, with is Jesus wants me to help him change the world. He wants me to help him change the world. If you're his follower, he wants you to help him change the world. And as daunting of a task as that sounds like, remember, we're talking about Jesus here. He knows what he's doing, and he knows how to use us to do that. So we looked at salt last week. Let's get into this one. As Danny read for us, you are the light of the world, the light of the world, a city set on a hill. So the question that comes to me out of this passage, the first one I got to answer, try to answer is, how can I be the light of the world? How can I be the light of the world? Well, I found this verse Jesus spoke in another place. It's recorded in John 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He's talking about himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So when I'm answering the question, how can I be the light of the world? This verse gives me the idea that if I'm going to do that, i got to follow Jesus. Now that sounds like a yeah, duh, not so clever to come up with that one, right? But in our generation, let's press on this, this idea of what it means to follow Jesus for just a second. He's not talking about the kind of following that you would do on Twitter or Instagram. But frankly, and you guys know this is true, how many times do we say we're followers of Jesus and it really looks like we're more just catching his posts and his tweets? Following Jesus means so much more than that. It means to be like Him. Now in this church and many others, we throw around the word disciple a lot. There's a good reason for that, biblically. Whenever we talk about Christians, I think the word Christian only appears a couple of times in, in Scripture. It was originally thrown out as a slur, as a slander. Most often, Jesus' people were referred to as disciples. Now today we kind of equate disciple with Christian, but we don't really use disciple in our common language. What do you think a disciple, what word 
most resembles in our day and age and in English, most represents the idea of what a disciple is. Student? That's very good. I want to give you one to consider that even has a little bit more of an edge to it that I think is biblically appropriate. Apprentice. Apprentice. Anybody here an apprentice? Or has been an apprentice? Nobody in here has been an apprentice. Okay. So if you're dealing with a plumber's apprentice, what's the plumber apprentice trying to do? Oh, he's going to turn... What if he is a welder's apprentice? A welder's apprentice. Okay, so any any time that you're talking about an apprentice, the idea is that the apprentice is eventually going to take the job. Right? If disciple equals apprentice, we're disciples of Jesus, we're apprentices of Jesus, what does that mean for you and me? Just what you just said. We are learning to do the job that Jesus did. That's what Jesus says. We'll have the life. We're supposed to serve the same function in this world that Jesus served in this world. Did I just scare you? Sounds like a really high bar, doesn't it? Don't get weirded out yet. (laughs) Jesus can deal with our short legs and my two-inch vertical leap. He can get me over this bar. We're never going to be like Jesus through our own strength anyway, so we might as well cut that baggage loose and kind of humble out and let Him teach us to be like Him. Let Him change us to be like Him. Salt changes its environment. Just like salt changes its environment by preventing rot. That's what we talked about last week. Light provides direction and guidance. Do you think that the society we live in or the world that we live in as a whole needs guidance? I would say, and I think most people would would agree, that this world is in darkness. What I mean by darkness is that it's blind to spiritual realities that are all around us. I mean, there's lots of sunlight out there right now. I'm not talking about physical darkness. I'm talking about spiritual darkness. There's more in this world and more to this world than what can be seen. Would you agree with that? And there are realities that if you don't pay attention to in the spiritual realm, this life can get bad and in a hurry. It can get really bad out there. One of the ways that you can tell that this world is in darkness is by all the broken and abusive relationships. It's just one of the many ways that we can see it. Right now, our society, ours, would you say that in our society that we're united, that we're unified? Yeah, I don't see that either. (laughs) I think our society is fragmented and fractured. Fractured along social lines, along political lines, along racial lines, along economic lines, and it's nothing new. It's always been that way. I think it gets inflamed sometimes, more so than at other times. I believe, and I've talked with with Wayne and Barb and some of the others that are a little older and lived through them, there's a lot of similarities to what we're going through as a society right now in 2021 to what happened in 1969. We've seen this kind of unrest in our society before, but it's because there is a spiritual blindness. There's a darkness in this world. This world needs light. 
It always has. But it's right now. It's our time. This is our generation. This is our place. We're apprentices of the light. And He's put the light of light in us. And He says, astoundingly, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I think sometimes my light is very dim, (laughs) but it doesn't deny the fact that I'm still the light of the world. It's hard for me to even say it that way. That just sounds too important for me. But that's what Jesus says, isn't it? Our society looks pretty bad right now. But did you know that when we're walking in the light as He is in the light, everything that we see that's so broken and fractured has a chance to change. 1 John 1.7, John said this. He says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Do you know what fellowship is? It's not just a bunch of fellows in a ship, though that gets you kind of close to the idea. Fellowship is whenever someone like Seth, who has trades and skills and a great personality, works with a guy like me who has none of those, (laughs) and we're actually close. We're so different, and yet there's a brotherhood here, right? You still like me, right? I'm safe. Okay, he still likes me, so I didn't lie. We have a connection that, I mean, we're from different generations. We're from different places, different backgrounds. We don't do the same kind of work. And yet there's a bond that the world can't explain. We have fellowship because we're serving the same king. We don't always do it in the same way or in the same place at the same time, but we're serving the same king. I can say that about so many of you in this room. Take a second to look left and right, kind of look around the room. And just think about how different these people you're sitting with this morning are from you. And then think about how precious they are to you. And think about that connection because you know you can count on them. And whenever you see a brother and sister or sister sitting next to you that you know is trying to serve your king with all their heart, just like you're trying to, it bonds you together like men who go to battle. And our world desperately needs it And they're trying to find it through all sorts of things. But they'll never achieve it. It can only happen in Christ. In 1 John 2, 10 through 11, John says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. See, one of the things about being in the darkness, you know, the the forces that are light against us in the spiritual realm are called the dominion of darkness in a couple places. The problem about being dominated with darkness is you can't see where you're going. How many of you have tried to get through a cluttered room in the middle of the night with no lights on and your shin or your pinky toe manages to find the leg of a table or a chair? And if you're really committed to trying to not wake anybody up, it sounds something like... (laughs) There's a a thunk and a... Why why did it happen? You would not have done this to yourself intentionally. It happened because you couldn't see it. Before you were a Christian, how many times did that happen to you? You were trying to do something good. And you didn't see the problem. And you hurt yourself. Or you hurt somebody else. And that's what's going on in our world around us. But now we don't have to be like that. There is light. There's nothing to make us stumble. We can live in the light. Verse 11, But anyone who hates a brother or sister 
is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. This is one of those moments where I feel tempted to go off on an entirely different sermon. (laughs) And I'm not going to do it, but I do want to bring this to light. If there's somebody, especially in the body of Christ, that you can't get along with, that you don't love, you got problems with being the light. You're living in darkness. And it's time that you deal with that. Would you agree? I think too much is riding on it. If we're the light of the world and not loving our brothers and sisters is going to snuff that light out, how important is it that we deal with this? This is our time. This is our generation. This is our place. we got to get this love thing down. We are the light and we're to live in the light and it is a privilege and a blessing to do that, to be both. People who live in a darkened world under the dominion of darkness need light. They need to see that there are people who have crossed all those lines that we just talked about that fracture and divide us. They need to see that those lines can be crossed. In this congregation and in so many others, we are not unique. But in this congregation, I know, we cross racial lines here, don't we? See, we're family. We're family regardless of economics. We're family regardless of politics. We're family regardless of skin color or ethnicity. I think we're even brothers and sisters regardless of the fact that I'm a Cubs fan and most of you are Cardinals fans. I went to... So I, I, I've made a friend who plays for plays professional hockey, lives, he's from a hometown, his name's Dakota Mermis, and he plays for the Dakota, or for the uh, Minnesota Wild. So last night I went to see him play at, at, at the, uh, is it the Keel Center still? See, that's how into hockey I am. I don't even know the name of the building where they play, but I know this guy, and you guys would love this man. He and his wife are just wonderful people. So I, I get a, 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 a Minnesota Wild jersey and a cap, I walk in and I realize I'm the only cat in the building <laughs> wearing this kind of swag. And so then we took Facebook pictures and posted it and some of you guys were like, Cubs, now Minnesota Wild? What is wrong with you, bro? And my point of all this, of saying all that is, is even though we push those lines that can bind, we are still family. You guys still love me and accept me, even though I always root for the wrong team. And of course, just like, just like the Cubs, we lost last night. Anyway, the point is, is the world doesn't believe that this can happen. The world does not believe what we're doing right here can be real. Because they cannot achieve it through a system of laws or rules or any other way. It's been tried forever and ever. And the only place where people this diverse have been able to come together and be one family is through Jesus. Through being in the light and being the light. You with me? Okay, Jesus goes on to say, why does Jesus... I'm sorry. I'm reading my notes here and I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me ask it this way. Why does Jesus say that a city on a hill can't be hidden? I mean, that's what he says next, right? A city on a hill can't be hidden. 
Why is he making that point? Yeah, a city on a hill can be seen from a long way away, especially on a dark night when the city lights are shining. I think Jesus is saying that because he sees his church that way. He sees us that way. He sees us as a city that's supposed to be obvious. It sits on a hill, and especially in a dark place, those lights attract attention. To be that city on a hill, Jesus wants you and me to do more than just know the truth and tell it to others. He wants us to live it in a way that other people can see it. Which would you rather have, someone tell you what's right or show you? Sometimes it's a combination of both. But too often what happens amongst God's people is, and even here, is we are much better at telling people than we are at showing them because we live it. I do think it takes both. I'll get into that, but Jesus wants it to be obvious, wants it to be seen. Just like unsalty salt gets ignored and thrown out and walked on, which, by the way, I had this, if you weren't here last week, I brought in this five-gallon bucket full of salt that had formed into one lump of heavy salt. And it was a backbreaker just to hold this thing up. And I, and I brought it with me because I couldn't find a use for it. So I thought this is a perfect sermon illustration, and I thought we've got a dumpster back there. I don't have to take it home. So I was going to throw it in the dumpster. And would you believe that I had a couple different people saying, hey, can I have it? Hey, can I have it? And I gave it to one person who then gave it to somebody else. And I just I thought, you just killed my illustration. I had no purpose for this. Now you all want this. What do you want it for? You know what they wanted it for? Everybody who wanted it had a weed patch. They wanted to throw the salt on to kill. To kill. Unsalty salt kills. It'll foul the ground. It had a purpose. They wanted to walk there and the weeds were preventing it. Which only comes back to proving my point again that I made last week. But unsalty salt gets ignored and trampled. That's not persecution when the world ignores us. When we're not salty, if they're not persecuting us when they walk on us. They don't notice it. And in the same way, a hidden city that people, can't easy, that people can easily miss gets walked right past. They can walk right past us if we're not shining. When we are that shining city on a hill that Jesus is talking about, I guarantee you some people will be attracted to the light. Not everybody. Some people will run from it. Other people will do everything they can to put that light out. But the one thing that is always true is that no one will miss it. No one will miss it. Jesus doesn't want his church to hide. He doesn't want us to blend in. He wants us to be like a city on a hill that shines with lights on the darkest night, that everybody sees it. Not everybody's going to want to be in this city, but it should be the case that nobody misses us. In verses 14 through 16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What is it that Jesus wants people to see from me? It's in that verse. Good works! Debbie Weiler for the win. Yes! 
<laughs> My good works. The church doesn't light up the world just by telling everybody what God has said. We light up the world by living the gospel. Do you know what I mean by living the gospel? One of the, one of the problems that our generation of Christians, and I think it's still here to some degree, one of the things that we're having, one of the challenges is defining what the gospel is. We all think we know what the gospel is until someone says, tell me what the gospel is. And then we struggle. Just think about it for a second. If someone asked you on the street, what is the gospel? What would you say? I always thought I knew what I would say as I've studied it. I want you to know that the, the, the shortest, truncated, and not reductive answer to that question is the good news, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus is king. If I'm going to live the gospel, if I'm going to live that Jesus is king, it's going to have to change the way I walk, isn't it? It's going to have to change the way I talk. It's going to change the way I think. See, when we live under his rule, we do things differently. We don't act the same. We don't have the same motivations that we used to have or like the world around us. We don't always laugh at the same things. We don't always cry at the same things. We aren't always doing the same things as they do. We act differently when we live the gospel, and I guarantee you, it attracts attention. When you give money that you earned away to someone who didn't earn it and doesn't deserve it, it attracts attention because it's mercy. And it's like God because God is rich in mercy. When you take the short end of the stick for somebody who doesn't deserve it, it attracts attention. When you don't retaliate, when someone richly deserves to be retaliated again, it attracts attention. And people want to know, what's the difference? Why are you so different? By the way, Jesus does not say that the world will see my good works and then glorify me. Who gets glorified whenever they see my good works? God. But here's the thing, and you all know this to be true, from experience and common sense. If I shut my mouth, or if my motives aren't pure, people can just think I'm a great guy. I know that's a far-fetched with me, but they might think that you're a great person. Right? And Jesus in Matthew 6 is going to talk to us about motives. Because doing the right thing for the wrong fit, wrong reason, with the wrong motives, is a huge problem in Jesus' opinion. So yeah, we, we need good works. We need to let the world see us living the gospel and doing the things that the king would want us to do. But we need to be sure that our motives aren't just so that we attract the attention to ourselves. We need to let people see that Jesus is the reason. Okay, so Matthew 15, 515, he says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. So their idea of lights were these little oil lamps, if I understand correctly, and they weren't brilliantly, powerfully bright, but they were intended to light up an entire room. What Jesus is suggesting here about putting something under a basket Kind of absurd, isn't it? 
And that's just his point. You would never light a lamp and then put it under a a basket. Why not? I can only see three possibilities. One, he could mean that the bowl would snuff out the light. Makes sense, right? He could mean that the bowl would keep it from lighting up the room, defeating its purpose so it's observed that way. But I want to suggest to you that maybe there's also another way to understand this. I'm going to try to illustrate it. This is our, this is our basket. This is our bowl. So if I've got this and I've got a lamp from Danny Gill that is really bright. Let's see if I can figure out how to turn this thing on. Yeah, man, there it is. Can everybody see the light? If this was a dark room, do you think that this would light up the room? I believe that it would. Now, if I put it under a bowl, what does it do for the room? It does absolutely nothing. Remember, the context of what we're talking about here is you are the light. I am the light. We are the city on the hill that's supposed to be seen. And Jesus is saying it's absurd to put it under the bowl, but what if I just do this? What am I doing? I'm redirecting where the light's going. Does it do any good for you if this is a dark room? Does this light help you at all? Can it help me? Yeah. And how many times is this the way, especially in a, in a society that is becoming more and more increasingly hostile to Christianity, how many times is this how we try to be the light? We try to redirect the light and we, Jesus, I want you to make my marriage better, but I'm not going to say too much about anybody else's. Jesus, I want you to make my neighborhood better, but you know, I'm just going to try to be a good neighbor. I'm just going to try to be a good employee. I'm going to let you teach me about how to use money, but I'm not going to say anything to anybody else. You with me? It's just as absurd as any other option. Hang on this way. And out goes the light. Thanks, Dan. That worked. (laughs) Okay. No one does that. The light is supposed to be for more than just me. That's the ultimate point. The light that Jesus has given to me isn't just for me. It's supposed to help other people too. Can't do that if I hide it. So how is it that I can end up putting my lamp under a basket? I would suggest by not speaking up so that I can avoid trouble. I've lived long enough and I've been a Christian long enough to know that you are on more shaky ground today than I personally think I've ever been on. And the biggest landmine field of all is Facebook. I've seen some of the most innocent comments turned into something scandalous because somebody else supplies the tone. Somebody else is looking for a reason to attack. And I've seen a lot of us back down and not talk about things. Politics. How many of you guys were afraid to say which way you wanted to vote last election? Yeah. I mean, that's dangerous ground. Much more to try and explain why. Where it comes to politics, 
Personally, when I talk to my Democrat friends, they think I'm Republican. When I talk to my Republican friends, they think I'm Democrat. And I'm not really either. I'm a Christian. And there are times whenever one party has something that looks a little bit more like him than the other. And so I'm just trying to advocate for him. Unfortunately, in politics, you're always going to have to choose the lesser of two evils, right? But you talk politics, and you say, well, this politician says something that I agree with because of Jesus. You get accused of a lot of things, and how many of us have been afraid to stand up for what Jesus says is right? How many of us have been trying to avoid controversy? Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, hey, let's go out there and just tick off everybody and, you know, let's just, let's be unnecessarily abrasive and controversial. I don't think that's wise at all. But there does come a time where we need to stand up and say some things and stop trying to avoid, avoid trouble. There are Christians and even churches that will not speak up about what sin is because they know people won't like that and won't agree with them. So instead, they just sometimes even go along with it. What's, what's happening with the light and the basket? What just happened to the city on the hill? It's kind of serious, isn't it? The reality is that these Christians who do that, trying to avoid trouble, are really just proving that they are ashamed of their faith. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, and I'm not trying to call out anybody in particular, but I cannot deny the truth of what 2 Timothy 1.8 says. Paul there says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. See, my choices are to be ashamed or to take the beating, to take the heat. And it is far better to take the heat for Jesus than it is to avoid the trouble and embarrass him, or to be embarrassed by him. So I want to give you something kind of practical with that that I've learned to use. And it's worked. I have never had this backfire on me yet. Now watch, tomorrow I'm going to have my first bad experience with this. But I am often involved in conversations with people who aren't Christians, sometimes with other Christians, but especially with non-Christians who will bring up things like abortion or homosexuality or bring up whatever, any controversial topic. i got a choice here. Bold, restricted bold, or I can try to be the light. And what I have found is if I just start the conversation with humility and say, well, you know, my faith causes me to look at that a little different. I have yet to find even the rowdiest person who objected to me stating it that way. So you might want to try it. Because it's not threatening. I'm not telling them what they, I'm not telling them they're wrong. I'm not telling them what they have to do. I'm just saying my faith causes me to look a little diff- look at that a little differently. And by the way, I stop right there. I don't say any more. Most of the time, people will say, really? Well, tell me about that. How does your faith cause you to look at that? Well, <laughs> here you go. This is, and, and a lot of what I'm going to be sharing with you, 
what we are going to be sharing with you out of this series from the Sermon on the Mount comes into play in these conversations. Well, Jesus said this, and here's what he's trying to do, and I believe him and trust him, so that's kind of how I look at this because of that. And I have yet to have anybody throw a rock at me. So you might want to try that. Now, the other thing that happens is sometimes people go, you know, I'll say, well, you know, my faith causes me to look at that a little different, and they'll go, okay. <laughs> and they're done with the conversation. And when that happens, I do not force that conversation on anybody. Because later on, Jesus is going to talk about pigs and pearls. And if you try to force your pig on a pearl, you're going to have problems. I'm sorry, your pearl. I said that just wrong, didn't I? If you try to force your pearl on a pig, the pig is going to have a huge problem with you and turn on you. And we're not called to do that. We are under no obligation to get any pig to take our pearl. So if people don't follow that up with a question, don't invite me to say what my faith makes me think, then I don't force it. I just throw that out there for you to think about to help you to begin to put your foot out there and lift that bowl and let your light shine just a little bit more. This world is intimidating. And I also want to tell you this. I can't forecast the future, but the way that the wind socks are blowing, the current state of things, it's going to get more and more difficult to be a Christian and not be harassed, not to be minimalized. Even in this country, we've all basically grown up at a time wherever it was comfortable to be a Christian. I think that window is closing for us. Don't be afraid of that. If it happens, God's got a plan for it. Okay, let's, let's get on towards the end of this now. I want you to flip over to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, because something Paul said there, I think, really applies to what Jesus is getting into. Paul says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I know most of you are probably familiar with that passage. I just want to draw out a couple things on it. Being salt and light presents my body as a living sacrifice. If I'm going to be salt and light, if I'm going to help Jesus change this world, it's going to cost me. What is a sacrifice? It's something that you give up, something that you want, that you give up for something that you want more. Right? If I'm going to be the light, it means that I'm not always going to get to do or say or have what I want. When I sacrifice, it's going to cost me. I'll give up something that I want whenever something that I want more is in picture. I like money. I don't think it's gotten out of hand. It's not a love of money kind of thing, but I kind of like it. But I will give it up to buy a new car whenever I don't have a car. See, I'll sacrifice my that total in my bank account so that I can buy something that I want more than that. 
you know, I'd like to sleep in. And this morning, you know, we got in from the Blues game and it took me till 1 a.m. to finally get to sleep and the alarm went off at 6 and I'm like, hi, I don't think I can make it, you know. Let's, let's let somebody else preach today. <laughs> that happens every time I have to preach. It's just like, can anybody else do that <laughs> anyway? But the point is, is I love you guys. I love Jesus' message. I love what He's doing in my life and in my community. It's worth sacrificing sleep to serve Him. See, if I, here's what it comes down to. Do I really love Jesus? Or am I just more interested in if He loves me? Is this about us or is this about Jesus? Yeah, when we start thinking more and more about Him, we start thinking less and less about us. And things start going better. Things start coming online. If I really want your kingdom come, your will be done. I mean, that's what he told us to pray for, right? And it's right at the top of the prayer. So, you know, it's, and, 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 and Paul said that, you know, your first priority is his kingdom and his righteousness. And then everything else will be taken care of. Do I really want God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom to come here to this earth? Do I really want, how many, how many here want that? What are you willing to give for it? It's going to cost you something. Because you're not going to get to do or to have or to say everything you want. Somewhere along the line, you're going to have to choose what you want more. Let me encourage you to believe, because it's true, His kingdom is worth whatever it costs us. Even death. In certain parts of the world today, there are people being beheaded for saying things like I'm saying. They're not doing anything different than I'm doing, but they're tortured and killed for it. It's because they know it's worth it. I could go on about that point, but I'm running out of time, so I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> what am I willing to sacrifice? Being salt and light presents my body as a living sacrifice, but it also proves to the world that God's will is right. See, I used to read this verse and think it proves God's will. I thought, proves it to me, right? I think maybe it means proves it to the world that God's will is right. A lot of times when we do what Jesus says, frankly, it looks stupid at first. Doesn't it? I mean, even amongst us. We've got different levels of maturity, different levels of understanding. And sometimes I see someone do something radically faithful and it just looks a little stupid to me. What about you? Sometimes I'm the one who's looked at as being stupid for doing something faithful. Usually it's because not, not about faith, it's just because it's true. And I get looked at it for that reason. But the, the end result proves that Jesus is right. When we're obedient to Jesus, the end results prove that He's right. A Christian's life should look different than those around us. An apprentice's life should look like the Master. Like, that's how we're supposed to look. More and more like Jesus. I should have more peace and joy than people in the world because Jesus has overcome the world. Hasn't He? John 16.33, Matthew 5.9. Jesus has overcome the world. I should have peace and joy more than people who aren't Christians. 
I shouldn't need drugs and alcohol to cope with the stresses of the life, of this life. Ephesians 5.18. I should have a different way of handling sex, money, and relationships than the world that are around me. And when people see the differences in a Christian's life, they're going to give God credit. This isn't theory, folks. I mean, maybe your mission field is your job. For me, I work out of my house a lot. My mission field is my neighborhood. And what I can tell you is, my neighbors have seen something different in my wife and I that we didn't even know that they were catching on to. And they tell me, okay, listen, I'm not ready to be a Christian yet, but i got to admit, I wish I could have your faith. There's something different about you. You genuinely seem to like people. I know. And the truth is, I don't know how I got there. I used to be a cop. I didn't like anybody. But I genuinely do like people. Most people. I have to struggle with some. But that's a big change for me to actually learn. And, and I didn't learn it like, gosh, i got to study for this and work real hard, and now I'm, I'm beginning to like Mike. You know, it's, it's not like that. It's like something that I see Mike Hyman and I can't help but smile. You know, I see Dan. Dan smiles first. I can't hold it back. You know, and of course, Dan's got one of those smiles. I see Coral, and I kind of swell with pride. And I see Sue, and I go, man, I like that sister. I love her husband, too. Good man. If you don't know him, you ought to know him. As a church, we have, and I can say that about so many of you. As a church, we have an opportunity to prove that God's way is the best way. And God will be given credit. I will help Jesus change the world when I, number one, let him turn up the heat and make me salty. That's from last week's lesson. And number two, I'll help Jesus change the world when I let people see me live out the truth of the gospel. I need to speak up and show up. I need to light up the world, not because I'm so important, but because what Jesus is doing and who he is, he's so important. If I just listen to him and I take serious this apprenticeship, that I'm letting him show me how to do what I do, something natural begins to change inside me. And I cast off a different kind of light. And the world will either run to it, run from it, or try to put it out. And all of that is okay. God's working in all of it. I'm going to close this out with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us and for for Jesus giving us this sermon. It's amazing that he can take two seconds, two verses. It takes me 45 minutes to try and talk through and, and half a lifetime to study through. Father, we want to learn how to be salt and light. And we praise you that it's already begun that, that you've started to make us saltier, so many of us, and that there is light coming from this community. We just want it to grow richer and deeper, that you get everything out of us that you paid for, for to get us. Father, it's a dark world, but you've given us a chance to be your light in it. 
Father, I pray that you help us not to shrink back. For heaven's sake, help us not to be ashamed or to avoid getting in trouble with somebody who doesn't know you. I mean, who would I rather have mad at me, them or you? I think I'll choose them. Father, help us to be the kind of people that are like Jesus and so that we can present our, our bodies as a living sacrifice and that our lives, independently but as a community, as a family, prove that you're real and that your ways are right. Father, we do want your kingdom to come. Forgive us whenever we haven't been willing to sacrifice what you need us to sacrifice to make that happen. Father, help us to be so intentional about learning this job, this new identity that you've given us, this new creation that you've made us into, a new kind of human. Father, as we go forward with this, help us to understand what it is you want us to do and help us to work together for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.